that German crime show that we used to watch. It was two men. And it wasn't Inspector Rex. It was like Bruno and Bruno or some shit like that. I loved it. And yet you can't remember it. Oh, it was a long time ago. I'm old now. This, uh, this episode's a little bit different from our other episodes. In other other episodes we've got coming up, we a fantastic episode with uh, Amy, who is an accounts manager at an advertising firm. And, uh, and then some more coming down the pipeline that we'll talk about later. But uh, this one, I thought it would give you a chance, Hannah, to ask me about my, my uh, film career, illustrious or otherwise. <laughs> you went to the same film school as I did, albeit a long time before me. A uh, decade ago. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time ago. Um, yeah, so what I was, was just it like when you came that. out? I'm old. You are old. But what was it like when you finished? Were you really cocky? A little bit, not really. Uh, let me tell you a bit about uh, my first degree. So I, I first went to Edith Cowan University and, and did a bachelor in, um, uh, in communications. It, me a, it was a while ago. Um, uh, majoring in interactive multimedia when that was a thing, and uh, um, film and video. And I, I really wanted to do film and video, and I got through, and at the last of my production units, there were only four production units, and they were pretty weak uh, as they go. They weren't really, they didn't really model the what real life is like. Uh, I got told by my professor that, uh, I, I think he, he, he posed the question, Ben, in front of the class, by the way, Ben, have you considered teaching? <laughs> Where, and I was like, what? Or, but in, in, in reality, I was too shy, so I just went, whatever, whatever. Um, at which point, uh, basically, he was saying I had no talent. Um, oh, good. Uh, they, I... Um, I left f- film school, I left uh, with that degree, and I spent a year on uh, our parents' uh, couch, uh, doing, d- doing not much. Uh, I did, a, like, I think I did four theatre shows, I didn't really work, per se, really, really, and uh, we were, it was quite frustrating in uh, uh, time, and I was considering what I was going to do with myself. When um, it was suggested to me uh, by our dad that I go back and do my master's degree uh, at the Screen Academy, which is the film school that you went to, and it's a, a, which I did. And after that period, I, at the end of that, I, I walked into a, I immediately started, uh, before I'd left, I'd got a job on a kids' TV show as a camera assistant. But, uh, um, uh, that was going to start in, like, May. Um, but before I I had that, I, I did a really terrible job uh, editing a documentary series. And I came on, like, for public access TV, which then got sold to schools and all this other mm, crap. Right? Yes, I remember that strange man coming to our house. Yeah, so you had been... At all hours. Yeah, he would turn up... Uh, this is... Uh, an example of how people can exploit you a little bit. He would turn up at um, eight in the morning, 
Well, first of all, I was come on to edit one episode. I'm, uh, you know, straight out of university. I don't really have the skills at this point, you know. Although I wasn't ever going to say that, and I think it was a good opportunity to to learn. Uh, learn and to throw yourself in the deep end uh, because I am a believer in throwing yourself in the deep end to do things that you don't think you're able to do because uh, if you're resourceful you you will get them done it might not be it might be stressful but you will get them done so I was supposed to do one episode but the uh, the editor the senior editor uh, quit which is always a good sign <laughs> um, so I found myself doing 10 episodes uh, and the timeline went from like having a month to do an episode to I was doing an episode in three days, sending it to the sound, uh, post sound guy who was doing music and post sound. I would at the same, at that, at that day get, uh, the, um, episode he just worked on, do uh, effects and titles and then go out to tape. Usually about, uh, you know, they were they were due in on a like Sunday morning, you know, nine a.m. and I dropped them off at about three or four in the morning, and then I go and sleep Sunday and then repeat. Uh, needless to say, I didn't like that that uh, that pr- production at all. No, I remember it being about prostitutes, but I could be remembering wrong. There was an episode about prostitutes. It was about crime and punishment. It was it was okay as a series. I don't think it was particularly great. I don't think it was particularly bad. Uh, certainly, they they had shot a lot of average material. And uh, one of my great frustrations, even now, is that where people set uh, the quality goal is low, right? Mm-hmm. They 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 don't aspire to to be anything and if you don't aspire to be anything then why do you bother doing this yeah you know uh, so that that's not to say like every everyone has that budget and every, you you tailor things to whatever the budget is but in this case they uh, there care. were certain there were certain technical things that I was explaining to this longtime producer and I'm sitting there going how how am I straight out of university explaining uh, a technical you know business kind of thing like mm. uh, copyright and you don't know this yeah uh, uh, anyway you went from that to trapped cast yeah, away so yeah I, I went from that immediately to uh, a, a TV show called trapped um, where uh, actually a lot of the people who are going to have appeared on this uh, podcast uh, uh, I met with uh, Grad Spatore although I knew him earlier uh, Pazan B. Kinston uh, who we uh, we're recording soon uh, um, it, Owen Owen Wilson they they were untrapped and I kind of started out as sort of bridging like a, a data wrangler before data wrangling existed so mm-hmm. this was shooting on uh, P2 in about 2007, uh, 2008 Panasonic P2 and uh, and it, it, I I would be a clapper loader for most of the day and then dump the cards you know twice a day and make sure that the cameras were gen lock timed and I had uh, two two really great people who were uh, DOP and a second camera assistant uh, Devrish Shasan was the DOP who was a wonderful guy and worked really hard and and then I had a uh, 
Danny Vatterham, who uh, who was was an interesting character. Uh, you know, uh, he was definitely a character. Um, sadly, he passed away after the first season. But uh, about a month in, they, the 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 he Danny Batterham's camera assistant quit, um, <laughs> as it happens, and so I moved quickly up into being his camera his B camera camera assistant, which is uh, a big step up, uh, and uh, and got to know Danny quite quite well. We we hung out a lot. We used to go play lawn balls every week. Um, and he, he he was the first one to tell me, you know, it's an old adage, but, you know, like, if I, I would get stressed a lot, you know, your hot day, long day, and he would say, we're not saving lives. And it's true. It's not, not worth getting stressed about. Devra Shasan actually taught me one thing uh, that I always remember, which is that he said to me that they, the a camera operator or a DOP has to be, like, the gentleman of the set. That you let the producers, the first ads, the the uh, the directors have the ego, have the yelling match, and you, that you be quiet and you be considerate and you be nice, right? And uh, and I, would, I mean, I would say that everyone should be those things. I, you you would say that, but uh, you'd hope, but uh, it doesn't happen assholes. often. It was a very interesting time. As I said, I met a lot of great people, Pasembi Kinston, uh, and I used to drive along the road in a, a troop carrier to set. He was uh, he was just starting out. He started out doing unit, uh, which is a terrible job, uh, cleaning the toilets, making sure there's food, and uh, quickly moved his way up into sec- third AD to second AD to first AD to acting in the show. Um by the second season and it was kind of a formative time I I, uh, the first season so here's the thing the first season the DOP had to um, go to Sydney to to work on the grade for a week I think and during that week I got um, we were doing about four days an episode or or so you know I I was given the opportunity to operate second camera right uh danny was became the dop and i became second camera based on my work there the next season came around and they uh the bruce best the producer um always looking to save money decided to offer me the the work of second camera through the series so i was working you know two years out of of film school i'm i'm second camera and then doping an episode of uh admittedly children's drama children's tv but like broadcast and it ended up uh you know going around the world i think it had a huge following in um in sweden you know i i see all these like youtube videos where they they cut all the uh the moments where they hugged or kissed in the show and put them together to sappy music and it it always seems to be like sweden or or uh or norway somewhere in that northern europe um at, at the same time this this is one of the key lessons I learned. It's it's not about. I mean, there are two lessons. Always do a good job, like always, mm-hmm. right? Even when you're feeling like crap, because a lot of the time you felt like crap. If you if you talk to me after that show, I would have probably sworn uh, a lot uh, because we did swear a lot on that show. It's a kids show. It's a children's show. Yeah, the yeah, that one of the kids came up at the end and said, uh, "I would, you know." I won't say what he exactly said, but he didn't want to didn't want to go back to uh, his school and said why not? And he goes, well, my mum doesn't let me swear like you guys do, except he <laughs> did swear words. 
Um, yeah, oh, oh, probably the oh, worst one ever. So anyway, I, I came back and, and through the contacts I made, I, I got uh, two two opportunities. One of which was to work with Mick Hatch, who I, I, is going to be one of our interviewers, interviewees, uh, if we can get him on the, the line, uh, in on his first indie film. And I was doing the same thing. Like I was doing this sort of data wrangler role. In fact, it, I was called data wrangler. And uh, I guess we made an impression on each other because we were fr- fast friends. Um, yes. I, th- I, I think that's because I went to... I I'd said I didn't want to go to a winery and neither did he and everyone else. While everyone else did, we went and drank Guinness. I'm not, I'm not saying you need to become an alcoholic. I stayed on with that production. That was a film called Bitter Art. I stayed on that for, oh, I don't know, four or five years and ended up as a... If you look on iTunes for Bitter Art, you'll see me as a with a producer credit. Um, nice. And, and the other the other job I took was a lighting job, which uh, I n- never really thought about. But like, if when you're in that ca- kind of camera world, you know, lighting kind of makes sense if you don't want to be a, a clapper loader and get yelled at a lot, um, which is what basically happens. Unfortunately, <laughs> you end up in lighting. And I worked on a film called uh, oh, what was that film called? What was the the West Australian film uh, where they had <laughs> Where they Which they one? had the, you know they had the mobile phones and then the the like the kid and the girl kill, kills herself. I have no idea what you're talking about. Wasted on the young, wasted on the young. Okay, I've never Which seen it. So it, it, it wasn't actually a bad film. I I quite liked it, but like most West Australian films, nobody ever saw it. Oh, we're getting some more traction these days. Yeah, so so that's kind of how I I started, and then from there, you know, every every job is an opportunity to network and you know I definitely had slower periods but like I started you know I did Cloud Street and then uh, I did a, a, a whole bunch of other films I did a lot of lighting I did the second series of of Trapped that was cast away uh, where I was a camera operator uh, then came back to Perth and nobody believed I was a camera operator because I was too too young and too inexperienced uh, and uh, you were old yeah, well, in your in your experience, but when you're working with people who've been in the industry like maybe twenty, thirty years, you know, yeah. you're not. I think that the only bit of advice, well, a couple of bit of advice that I got early on, uh, Divish Hassan, um, told me that I should uh, that once you you earn a professional credit, you should stop working asking for, for, for working for free. Basically, you you can work for for like barter right and i've done that mm-hmm. a couple of times so i there's someone who still owes me a nando's meal but like you you stop working for free because if you don't value your time no one will All right now that's hard when yeah. you're in that early stage and you just want the experience but and it took me a lot longer than when he said it to me the second bit of advice that i got which was to move over east and i didn't take it uh mm. and i think that was probably my mistake um because it's very easy to get pigeonholed. Yeah. I have always been someone who likes to do a lot of different things. So, you know, I'm not necessarily a one-man band, although right now I am. Uh, I, I do actually like working with the crew and a lot of professionals who know what they're doing, but I don't necessarily like to just do the one job. And I remember getting uh, a, like a drive from Calabaran with a camera assistant in in town 
who uh, basically said that I, I had to pick one thing and only do that one thing and that uh, I would never get hired pro- professionally. Uh, I would never move up the ranks because people didn't know what I was. And I think that's a very that's a very small town, Perth industry, yeah. where everyone knows who you are and everyone's seen you around and everyone knows who you are on set. And so... They like to some people I was lighting, to other people I was camera, to other people I was editor, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then they would be surprised when I could show that I had a skill set other than that, right? To, I, I produced a, well, I co produced a, a film, um, which is a, it's a, a nice, uh, the second of mixed films, The Precipice. And by co produced, that just meant that he didn't have to pay me, um, for the edit uh, but like like I did a, some of that that work I, I talked uh, you know we talked strategy and all of that stuff so I'm interested in a lot of things basically I'm yeah I, uh, and I think staying interested has helped me um, but n- not uh, not necessarily uh, uh, it, it has helped me but it's hindered me as well Yes. Do you think I should move east? Yes, I I think you should move east or move to America. Well, I did say to uh, Peter, my partner, yesterday, why don't we just move to LA? And he was like, okay, so we might be getting married in like eight weeks. So from the people who uh, um, I went to school with, I can think a lot of them dropped out, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them were heading up and having good career path at least two of them were having a very good film career path as 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 good as my own if not better uh, in the same sort of field no different fields well uh one was sort of same same and then uh she got married and had a kid and then dropped out which unfortunately happens to a lot of women women uh, yes women it's uh, um because the, the expectation is different Mm-hmm. the the expectation is different and and sp- specifically when you're in a, a technical role which she was she I, like I worked on things where she wanted to do she was doing camera I worked on things where she was doing um gripping grip work you know and uh that there is a different expectation the expectation in in particularly in Perth is that you're you're maybe a director but mostly you're working in the production office or you're in makeup and wardrobe and while all the people who do that as a living are, are great and fantastic at their job, I don't think that that should be the only option. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, now, the the but the majority of the people that I worked with, even the ones I thought were uh, high performers, are out of the industry. Like, like I think, it, it, you know, maybe, to, you know, to some people, what I do now is is not te- uh, truly in the industry uh i would disagree but uh i mean you're um, shooting you're editing you're yeah telling so, stories so, so we'll, we'll we'll get to what i'm doing now in a in a little bit but uh uh yeah i i basically make content for a living however mm. i look at the people that i i work grew up around and went to uni with and i don't see them working i don't see them working and i can think of maybe one or two or who are still and like out of a class of 30 
Do you think that's because uh, the reality of the industry is that you do have to just work your butt off for like a decade before you're going to get, you know, to where you want to be? Or do you think it's because, like, why do you think that is? Well, I think that uh, it's an interesting question to ask Mick Hatch, first of all, when we get to interview him. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it, I think it's because there there isn't a sustainable industry in Perth or the sustainable industry in Perth is not why people go to film school, Yeah. right? People go to film school because they want to be an artist, right? I, I mean, uh, like... They want to be Quentin Tarantino, or they 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 want to to make feature films, or they want to make music videos, or they want to do whatever. But there's not that industry in Perth, or there there is, but it's small, right? It doesn't employ the majority of people. And when they get out, they they're faced faced with a challenge that I've had a couple of times. I, I can count at least three. I mean, in a way, you have it every time as a freelancer. As I, I worked a lot of my time as a freelancer, you you have it this moment of like, I finished this big project. First of all, you're just like worn out. And then you go, well, now what do I do? Right? You, when, when faced with that, like straight out of uni, now what do I do? It's hard to say I'm going to commit to, to trying to be a a filmmaker. Oh, I can't pay the bills. Oh, I have to stay with my parents, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I need to pay the bill. Well, I'm going to get a, a a job as a barista or, a, you know, I'm going to become a librarian. So, in a way, it's like Perth, but I think it's everywhere, right? Uh, I think mm-hmm. that the difference is that if you have a lot of productions, you can you could get those start roles. The other thing I see is that people get a, a, a first-time role on, a, on a, a feature film and they take it for granted. You know, I, I've yeah. seen it in Perth it, where you literally you're most likely to be like get one chance at, at getting on people's radar and they they like sleep on the back of the, the tailgate, you know, the the, mm. the the truck lift or you're they turn up late or they talk back, you know, they don't just say yes, sir, and get it done, you know, like, yeah. But at the at the same time, I've been on I've been on sets where they you know like the pressure has been intense, and especially early on, you don't you don't have that thick skin. So when you get yelled at, and it happens because say you're on a twelve million dollar film, and the twelve million dollars that uh, is shooting for six weeks at six days a week. Uh, I know I can't do the math. I'm too tired. But you're, you know, each minute it's thousands of dollars. So you mm. might make a sim, a stupid mistake because you're tired and you've been working, and someone yells at you because they're tired and they're stressed out, right? That that early on that was that's crap. Like, uh, and I totally understand it why people go no. I don't no, want to be treated like that. Yeah. I got yelled at. I got yelled at lots of times. And, and eventually you just see it for what it is. It's stress, right? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I was on a set, one set where the director was standing outside getting ready to shoot. It was an evening shoot and we're all there and it's like week five and there's been a lot of tension and the director is yelling to the, at the producer saying that we were ruining his film. 
Well, specifically oh, the first AD, but all of us, we were all bad and he wanted to fire us all and he, you know, he hated us all. And, you know, it's on the other side of a fence and we're all looking at each other sitting, you know, you stop work, right? And you just watch this train wreck happening in front of us. You know, Did that person know. work again? I don't know. I don't know. He was the director. So he, he, he was trying to make a calling card film. A lot of the films that get made in Perth are like aren't really great they're just there to make, make the a film so then i get hired somewhere else yep basically there definitely seems to be in perth this sort of like you uh you get fti funding and then you get screen west elevate short film funding and then you get the next level and then you get the feature film funding from screen west that seems to be kind of like this trajectory that exists in perth and that people want to follow and because they see that people have success from that there's you know ben young's been very successful off that currently um okay okay so currently ben young's been successful but who was who was successful off that before that you know i know really well to some degree uh the director of a waste on the young had some success Mm -hmm. moving into la uh after he did wasted on young which was a, a screen west funded film but but basically it, it exi- these films exist as a, a in a vacuum. They're not. They're not marketed well. They're not marketed well, and they they. I think they Hounds of cool. Love though is done very well. Yeah, oh, yeah, know? because Ben and Ben Young's kind of very talented. Oh, Ben Young is very talented, but he he was very talented young. But I think he start, he's matured, which is which is probably good. What do you think about like? not doing that obviously we can talk to Mick about this but like my feeling is that like you have to work for years and years and years to get a small amount of funding to make a film that may or may not get you work elsewhere what if I just made like a really cheap feature you know what if I just did it and made it really well like had a really solid story like because I don't see that happening in Perth. It does happen in Perth. Uh, uh, it, okay, I so know Mick's we, doing it. Yeah, so Mick Hatch, who uh, director of uh, Bitter Art and The Precipice, who has agreed to be on the podcast. We haven't recorded it yet. Um, he there. So there, there were a couple of people who came out. Paul Comedina. Um, he directed a film called uh, um, Oh God, uh, Final Cut, I think, or Director's Cut. Director's Cut. Sorry. And it was like a horror schlock horror. Um, there was another guy who directed three films, and I can't remember. Uh, Van, da- uh, Van Davidoff shot them all, and his name was is escaping me for the moment. Um, one of which, the third of which, got kind of successful. Um, the guy who did uh, these final hours, mm-hmm. to, um, you know, uh, that was very successful. The, these final hours was very successful. Zach Hilditch. He made three uh, really bad films, well, low quality films. Let's say because the third one was great. I uh, third one is basically these two uh, two guys go looking for treasure that that um, and one of the guys is a, a an, in a nursing home and I can't remember the name of the film, but it's it's actually great. The guy, he's in a nursing home and the guy before someone dies he tells him where there's treasure, so they go out looking for treasure, and they're out like lost. It's a bit like um that Casey Affleck film by Gus Van Sant, uh, but mm-hmm. better. 
actually interesting. So like like people do do that and they have some success. I think there's two problems with that. One, Perth is there there isn't an audience in Perth, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there there isn't really a market to sell uh, films with Australian accents other yeah. than other than the occasional musical yeah, um uh, into Aust- in the Australian market. And at B, you you can't make your money back. But I would say that I like I've worked on a short film that was twenty minutes long, at which point uh, it, I think it was like either like a FDI short film funded or it was uh, um, self funded. At which point I turned to the director and said, "You've got twenty minutes. You're not telling me that this story that you've made doesn't have enough length to do another two of those, and just put it together and it's a feature film, right?" Yeah. I will say that director's cut was. Uh, I talked with Paul about it one time, and he he was stuck before the revolution in cameras that was red, the red one, and these large sensor, uh, large sensor. So uh, film video cameras. Um, he was shooting on like a Sony Z Z one or the uh, the sm- whatever the smaller one was. The I can't even remember, like the HN one or whatever it was called. Um, mm-hmm. they shot on that and that, uh, um, maybe it was a Z7. They, they, then this new cheap affordable camera came out and he was saying, well, I, I got some success, but people wouldn't buy it because it looked crap. Right. However, yeah. like, uh, you look at something like Mick who shot on the red one and his story, his film didn't go anywhere. Right. You yeah. know, so I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any one way to do it. I think that maybe the Duplass brothers is the way you do it. You just make it. You make a lot of crap until something is good. I always think about what the Duplass brothers said. They just kept making things, and they they made a they made a feature that they've never released because they said it was terrible. But they just kept on doing it, and I think it's the best way to learn. But I don't see. Uh, the people that I know at least doing that right now and I, I want to be doing that my plans are to do that I'm in the process of doing that but like I think there's this idea in Perth that people are gonna sort of give you this job and the reality is you've got to make your own work yeah that work doesn't have to look like the work that you're that you think you're doing like I like I said when you come out of film school you think you're gonna make music videos and then you're gonna do a short film and then you're gonna do another longer short film and then you're gonna get funding to do a feature film and then you'll be successful if I talk about my kind of third act of of my life, I I I was kind of getting burnt out in uh, in the film game, and uh, I had a friend tell me, I think it was Kate Dart, that you're not in the film industry until you're trying to quit. So I I got this was about I don't know 2000, 2011, 2012, and I I was burnt out. And uh, at the same time, I uh, met Lindsay, my wife, an American, and I moved over to America. And given the opportunity, like uh, I actually, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was in that same place that you are right now. Except you had credits. No, it didn't matter. It really didn't matter. Americans couldn't care less about the stuff I'd done before. Oh, good. So like they 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 read Australian they didn't care. I worked on a project that didn't end up getting completed a feature film which was a fantastic experience. I was a DOP. It was a very collaborative work. We shot about half of it. The acting was terrible. Uh but in Texas? 
in Texas. Yeah, this was called Early Bloomers of the Revolution. Uh, yes. And they paid Early me. Early Bloomers? Like, bloom, not bloomers as in the underwear, as in, like, uh, blooming flowers. Um, oh, okay. The, I thought, well, uh, that's an interesting... So Maybe I should do a, a, a feature about Confederate underwear, Ben, called Early Bloomers of the Revolution. <laughs> I was just at the uh, the uh, San Jacinto Monument where, you know, so I was looking at all that, the history of America or Texas. Anyway, let's get, not get sidetracked. So I did this really great project. I was doing a lot of creative work and it was... It was fantastic, but it wasn't paying the bills, and uh, I had to find a job. And I went and worked at Rice University, and I did it uh, for a while, a year, which was not... I think I did, like, three videos in that time, in a year. I did a lot of, like, uh, three, you know, mini docos, and then the rest of the time was, like, live producing uh, events, like, videoing events, getting live streaming. It was It was kind of boring. Uh, to be honest, but it was it was work, right? And it was experience. And then from that, now I, I work in a, a corporate communications group and, you know, at least for the moment, I'm building up contacts, building up a portfolio here. And basically, yeah, I do a lot of like kind of crappy work as well. You know, the kind of safety video that nobody likes. But at the same time, I'm doing like these little short docos uh, mm-hmm. under two minutes, under two minutes long, everything under two minutes, because that's the attention span we have. Uh, um, and like I'm starting to to build up a, a, a base. And at the same time, I'm getting work. I did a, a music video I paid because I don't do work for free. Um, and uh, I have... I, um, I'm getting uh, freelance photography work. I'm flying out to LA to do some in a little bit. And as I said earlier, most some people would see what I'm doing and say, "Well, you're not in the film industry because they have such a narrow definition." But you know, I'm I'm working for a Fortune 500 company making videos. You know, and that's what I do. I'm paid to make videos. It's kind of it's kind of good. I mean, it's pretty much the same as if you were working in advertising, making videos. Yeah. Yeah, it's very close. Like uh, um, uh, Amy Jo said something about marketing and uh, the difference between marketing and advertising. Uh, I'm more on the marketing side or at least marketing uh, some of my clients. Um, yeah. So it's 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 really interesting and it keeps it varied. However, like I, I get the hankering at the moment to, to branch out and to do that more varied work again. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see where we are in a... Another, Let's make a feature yeah. over the summer. Let's do it. I'm I, at the moment, like I'm, I'm flat out working on a, a not a rebrand, but a brand refresh, which is a, a classy way of saying rebrand. And I'm doing an anthem video for that. That that's the kind of work that in Perth I wouldn't have got. There's yeah. no way, I, 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 there's no way I would have been employed to to do a, a branding video, an anthem video for BHP Billiton or Rio Tinto or um, well, BHP Billiton is uh, just rebranding to BHP now, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like, so moving, moving helped me establish myself, but it's also hard. I, I know that, that kind of, that kind of empty space, you know? 
Yeah, well, that's how I kind of feel. Because, like, well, do I stay in Perth? Do I move to Sydney and establish myself there? Because inevitably, don't Pete's going to want to live in, in America. I'd, when The plan isn't to do that until I make some money. I mean, the plan is to leave once I've made some money. Um, well, that, that, so, so that's why you have so to So never? No, but the, the thing is, you know, if I move to Sydney, I have to establish myself all over again. So why not just move to New York or LA or somewhere, you know, because every time I move, I'm going to have to do it again. Yeah, no, it's true. I would say that that building up a showreel and really building up, like trying to get different things on there, and, and targeting, I mean, targeting, you put in your showreel what you, the work you kind of want to do, not necessarily mm-hmm. the work you have, right? Yeah. If that makes sense. Uh, not, I mean, it's all work that you've done, but it's like you tailor it to what you want to do, right? So, and yeah. building up a showreel was a hard thing for me to learn, but it was a useful tool in selling mm-hmm. myself. And the other thing I've learned the hard way is that you have to be more active in selling yourself. You have to be the expert, right? Yeah. And part of that is being the expert, right? Part of that is knowing what you're doing and, and, and learning that and and asking questions of people who know a lot more than you, right? But the other half is is delivering when, when you're asked. There's a band in New York who want me to make a music video on WA for them. And I just pitched an idea yesterday and I thought, you know, I could be completely off the mark with this, but I still, I pitched it. I did a really, you know, I sent a lot of pictures with the idea, so it was very clear. And she came back and she loved it. And now I'm like, okay, well, cool, I've had this awesome idea, and now I have to pull it off. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that. And it's, I know I can, I know I can. It's about putting the right team together, but it's also like, okay, you know, every step of the way you have to do a really awesome job. And I, that, you know... I know our dad always said, be your best, and that's what I always do, but... It's also make it look better than 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 what you the budget is, right? So, if the budget is $100, make it look like you spent 10000 right? Yeah. And, well, and I mean, part of that, and that comes down to having a really good DOP and in yeah, the right location. Sure. You know, it's every single thing. Like, I want to do really good work. My taste level is really high. The work that I'm doing is not where my taste is yet. And I know that that just comes from making more work and learning and making mistakes and going, oh, instead of doing that, I should do this next time. But like, that's really hard to do when other people don't want to do that. And that's the kind of vibe I get in Perth. Being that I went through all of this, like I've been through it a lot of times. That's when when you came out of film school and you said, well, what, you know, what do I do now? That That's why I kind of... Uh, I suggested this podcast because it's not like I can give you the answer. I can't tell you to go move to Sydney, call this guy and you'll have work. Right. And there's not that there's not an easy way. It's a journey and everyone's different. You know, what's interesting to me is no longer, I mean, yeah, production is fine. Right. But what I'm interested in now is how people go about making content like, consistently you know mm-hmm. I, and i know the 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 easy example is casey neistat right you know goes out and shoots his entire life as a as a video series but i don't know not, who that uh, is you know oh, okay so first of all go look up casey neistat right you is he that weird casey swedish neistat. guy that 
No, no, really... he's in New York. He's in New York. Okay. He, just look up Casey Neistat. No. Right. Oh, yeah. I found him. He He's very, very successful. Mm. Um, d- doing advertising, doing other stuff, but he has this blog and the blog is successful and now he, he got bought, his company got beamed, got did an app and then it got bought by CNN. But he just lives his, like, films his life? Yeah, pretty much. He does like a, a sort of, he did a daily blog for a long, a daily vlog for a long time. About um, what? About his life. No one is that interesting. But it is interesting. Watch the vlog. So you're saying I should start a daily vlog? No, I think that you just need to be making more than you're making. I don't think, you, I think that I even agree. now you're- No, I've, I want to be making more than I'm making. But I, I think that you're stuck in a, a, a thought pattern. I, like, I was stuck in a thought pattern that you have to do it a certain way. Like, like you have a camera, you have a mm-hmm. microphone, uh, this go is why interview I really someone. Do, this is why I want to just set up a weird Instagram where I just make stuff and put it on Instagram. And, like, doesn't have to – I mean, I want it to be good, but it doesn't have to make sense it doesn't like oh here's a really beautiful thing that I saw and I filmed or here's an inter- like here is I asked this person a question and that's this and like or here's me talking about like leggings and why I think everyone should wear leggings or you know I just think so so do it creating content is how you learn yeah so do it I should just do it I need to come up yeah. with a good handle or or do it you kind of doing channel. things. <laughs> YouTube uh, channel. YouTube, YouTube but now channel. you have to have like 10,000 subscribers to get YouTube no, to... No, you don't. You don't. Yeah, to get paid. But uh, getting paid is only... If you're just creating content for the sake of creating content because you have this uh, need to create content, right? Like, I I don't get enough time to write anymore. I don't get it. Certainly don't get enough time to take photos or, uh, um, or shoot video that isn't paid work right anymore mm-hmm. because my my work has overtaken everything and I have a baby and all of this stuff but there was a time where I would just sit and write or I would go for a walk and take photos because for no one else other than me you know yeah or 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 now my Instagram followers who probably think why does he, he uh, vacillate between shots of like beautiful things and then like strange details of of stuff that nobody cares and signs now this is not the point of this podcast this podcast i should point out is how you get a job and get successful and stop living in your parents basement there's a a technical aspect there's a aspect of, of networking and all of that and learning how people did it but at the same time you have to build up your skill set i i i have learned from every mistake i have ever made Except yeah. the ones I repeat. I learned how to fix the problems as well, right? And mm-hmm. that that you can't do if you're not making stuff. Yeah. It's one of those things where I truly believe if, you, if you're making stuff and you're thinking about it and you're talking about it and you're doing stuff, like right now we're doing a podcast. That's, you know, content. Uh, content. Two, two years ago when we first started our first podcast, the Pacific Kinston Show, please go listen. Uh, I didn't know it's how to weird. make a podcast. It's great. Um, I didn't know how to make a podcast. I didn't know. I didn't know how it was. I just started listening to podcasts, and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to do a sketch show, as a like a, a sketch video show. I didn't have the opportunity to do that. Uh, why don't I make a sketch podcast? And then uh, because it's much easier to ha- have someone else to hold you accountable, 
yeah. that's why I have I invited you on, and and that's how the Sam Kinson show started. You make content; it's easy, right? It's hard. It's easy. It's hard, but you've also got to pay the bills. Yes, that's the hard part. Don't don't sit and think I can't do that, right? I can't go to to I can't go to Sydney. I can't go to to LA. I can't go to New York. You just kind of have to do it and figure it out, don't you? And half the time you just say you're going to do it and then you do it and it it's not that hard. And the other half of the time is you say you're going to do it and you you do it and it doesn't work out. That happens a you lot. You fail miserably. And then you learn from it. Mm. I mean, I guess it's about resilience and grit and why you're doing it in the first place. Like, I mean, I didn't go into the creative arts to make any money because, frankly, I haven't and I don't and I don't intend to. Hold on. That's the whole point of this podcast is (laughs) that you have to make money. I know. And I, I want to make money doing these things. The goal is to make money. But, like, the reality is I didn't choose this. I could have become a lawyer. I could have become a doctor. I could have, you know, worked in a business. But they're not things that I want to do, although it would be easy to make money doing that, I think. I really don't know about what lawyers or doctors or business people do. They have meetings. That's, that's the one thing I've learned about corporate, they, that you have to have 10 meetings for every event. All right, Hannah, so where can people find you? They can find me at Poppy Pasco on social media or um, at my website, hannahpoppypasco.com. And how, and how can they, how can they find uh, uh, the Snoring Dog Nugget? Nugget can be found um, making some appearances on at Robin Doing Things on Instagram. Uh, check it out. It's some good shit. And you can find me at benpasco.net and we can talk about your film production or uh, um, or you can find me on the socials. Uh, is that a thing? Uh, at the Society of Bens. Bye!